This is Mid-Missouri's Total Sports Station. KTGR, and it's time to get big. That was a big-time answer right there. You've got the big show with Andy and Brent serving up sports talk from Mizzou to the pros. And everything in between. Join us now on the KTGR hotline and sound off on today's biggest stories in sports. The big show starts now. You bet it does. Welcome into this Thursday edition of the Big Show on ESPN 100.5 and 105.1 KTGR, your total sports station in Bit Missouri. Thanks for tuning in online at KTGR.com and on the KTGR app. Tandy Humphrey, Brennan Schaefer, and producer Chris, all here on Thursday. It is yet another day closer to the Super Bowl, and today we have over-unders for Chiefs 49ers. We'll get to those at 5.05. Oh, boy. Mizzou men's basketball got knocked out again last night at home to Texas A&M again. And this one, nah. was, this one was ugly towards the end. Oh, my goodness. Now 0-10 in conference. Wee! We're here, folks. Having fun <laughs> yet? Is, anybody having fun? This has just been a dead drop. Uh, we'll get to uh, our thoughts on Mizzou men's hoops in just a few minutes. We're going to get the thoughts of Gabe Armand as well of PowerMizzou.com at 4:25. Great to get his perspective on, you know, this slide that Mizzou has been on. Oh no! And um, well, we'll also ask about the defensive coordinator that Mizzou uh, football got. I'll enjoy that go. much more. Yeah, that'll I'll probably. enjoy that much more. <laughs> Think more football thoughts. There was a tweet from Gabe last night that was like, "Mizzou hasn't scored in five minutes." Every game is the same. Every game is the same. <laughs> and so I'm like, A, he's right. B, I, that's kind of a preview as to, I think, what his Mizzou basketball thoughts will be yeah. when we have him on here in a little bit. So yeah. looking, for, I am genuinely looking forward to that. Um, but I'll, the football talk, yeah, go go football. Let's go football. It's kind of where I'm geared right. right now. Well, we'll get to uh, football talk, of course, for the final football game of the season uh, at 5.05 with our Super Bowl over-unders. And also at 5.25... It's back. The soup or bowl draft. Oh, no. Oh, uh, no is Andy, right. I got my How big board. Feeling? I'm ready to go. How are we feeling? I'm feeling fine. Uh, I believe. You got the Tums on hand for when I make you mad and ruin it. Look. <laughs> like I did last year. I mean, I've kind of come uh, I've come to the conclusion that life's too short to get mad about this sort of thing. So hey. we'll see if it actually if Ooh. I actually do get mad about this. I mean, I won last year, so I know that if I if I play it true <laughs> that folks will recognize and they'll they'll still vote for my team. So I I don't know, man. You'll we'll just need to lay out the rules for me this year. That's no, really what's always You know been a the rules. We've known the, the rules for so long. And you just pretend to forget them. 875-KTGR. Give us a call or a text. You can also tweet us at KTGR Big Show. And find us on Facebook, too, at Facebook.com slash KTGR Big Show. Now the Big Show's Big Deal. The losing streak has grown to 10 games for Mizzou men's basketball. They lost to Texas A&M last night at home, 79-60. to That's the second time in the last couple of weeks that the Tigers have lost to the Aggies. This one, a little bit more lopsided. Mizzou did cut the lead down for Texas A&M to three points early in the second half, but then A&M really pulled away in the final ten minutes. Tigers were without Sean East last night as well. The team said before the game that he suffered a knee contusion in Saturday's game against Vanderbilt last weekend, so he did not play last night, and he's considered day-to-day. We'll see what his status is coming up this Saturday as the Tigers get set to take on 
Mississippi State for their next conference game. It's a 7.30 tip on Saturday night. And again, the Tigers with one of their worst starts to conference play ever at 0-10 now to start conference play. That's the Big Show's Big Deal on this 8th day of February 2024. 875-KTGR. Call or text us here with your thoughts on the loss. Last night, I guess, are we going to start making this a tracker? I hate that we have to make this a tracker now, but I think we do. Uh, we're at 0-10 now. You want to guess now what Kempom projects the chance of a winless record being. It was at 6.1% before last night's loss against Texas A&M. Brendan, do you want to venture a guess as to what the what percentage was it the, is. It was in the sixes last time, right? 6.1%. You want to I'm know where it is now? Of a 9.4. Give me 9.4. Show me 9.4. The chance of a winless record for Mizzou this year, according to Ken Palm at this moment, is 12.7%. Oh, uh, get on board, Ken Palm, finally. <laughs> I've been telling you, it's not like this. That's weird to me that it had that big of a jump, but it's also... Well, I think when you lose like that to a team that yeah, was you lost by nineteen points, of, right? And yeah, you were man, only projected home. to have a you know six seven point loss, maybe, and then you get crushed towards the end. Ken Palm finally said, maybe they don't run into one. <laughs> like they, oh they, yeah. Oh, you're sure you're going to run into one eventually? No, maybe they don't. Maybe they don't because they might just be that bad. Um, and I think they are. Again, I maintained when back when Ken Palm was telling me six percent, I was like, yeah, I whatever whatever I could do to wager that, I would because I think the odds would be beneficial. And we're going to continue to see the tracker climb, barring the unforeseen here in the near future. Again, that's one of the winnable ones, Andy, and you lost by 19. Now, I get that you didn't have Sean East, but, you know, you haven't been winning with Sean East. So I'm not really... Yeah. I I don't know what to do with that information from last night. I don't know. It it does... Does a hurt a little bit of what you can do in the backcourt. Nick Otter did score pretty well last night. He kind of had to. Uh, right, so right, so I mean, he picks if up. If you the can production. do that, if you can be that role, what is it that prevents him from from being that when Sean East is is also available for the game? Is it like he just goes into? I, I think he almost reverts into this mode of I don't have to be the scorer, I'm going to be the distributor, and that's okay in last year's team when you have a bunch of good scorers around you, but they've got not a bunch around him this year. They've got a couple guys here and there that he can distribute to, and I think it's made him lesser. He's kind of taken himself out of the game sometimes. I like that he was shooting it, and it it almost was like a confidence boost for him to know that, hey, i got to be the one to do it tonight, so I will. And he had a nice game. He played okay offensively. Yeah, I I mean, the turnovers maybe a little bit. uh, It it wasn't just him. It was uh, several players on the team. Turnovers were a huge problem, and not just that. But the fact that Texas A&M capitalized on pretty much every single turnover that Mizzou had, like they had 24 points off turnovers. Like it, it, you can't win with that kind of transition defense. And it, Mizzou last night, again, it was pretty much the same story. Started out pretty well. You're, you're, pay, you're step for step with, with A&M through most of it. Mabor Majak had a big moment uh, last night with the, with the putback dunk. And, I mean, he ties the game with that. He hits the free throw at the end to, to give Mizzou a one-point lead at the time. And, and then that ended up being their last lead because they didn't score a field goal at all for the rest of the first half after that point. It was about eight minutes that they finished the first half without a field goal. I mean, it's pitiful every it's pitiful, time Andy. 
It's it's every single game. You can't get a good finish to the first half to give you some confidence going into the locker room, and then once you come out second half, I mean, sure, you you give a little bit of a push, but it's never enough because what you did at the end of the first half is just too detrimental to your team's success. And, look, last night you can, you can point to so many other things. Mizzou did some things better last night than Texas A&M did. They did uh, get to the free throw line a, a little bit more. They shot better from three uh, against a team that's not very good at shooting the three. But other than that, you just did not give yourself any kind of edge. And, look, I get it. Sean East is out. The depth was already being tested with with guys that were already out before him. But you had a chance last night. And, it, it, again, it went India got wayside. bad news. What's up? They did not actually outshoot Texas A&M from the free throw line. Oh, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Texas A&M <laughs> attempted nine catch All right, one throws. category that they were better at Texas A&M than three-point shooting. One thing. All right. I don't care. <laughs> I don't just... need to go down the box score and see what category they beat A&M in. They got, they got their butts kicked. And they had a chance until they start introducing the same things that we see in every game, the scoring droughts. The turnovers was kind of a a special tweak to this one where I think they might have been even worse in that category than in some other games. Um, The the defense following a turnover to, like you said, allow it to be sort of a a turnstile offense for A&M at that point to take advantage of those moments. And then just once, once once you get punched in the mouth once, you, you fade away in the second half. They don't have any ability to get up off the mat, which is weird considering, like, what they did at Minnesota really early right. in the season, you know? like and, and you could maybe dissect who they had for that game that they don't anymore due to injuries or whatever the case might be, but it's just it just boggles the mind how little fortitude that this team has. They, they, have, they don't have toughness to be able to get through those moments as a team. I'm not going to come after individual guys and say this guy, that guy. As a team, the proof is in the pudding that they don't have that makeup this year. They just don't. And it's very puzzling that, yeah, in the beginning of the season, they did have that type of... It's so weird. Uh, right, and then a switch yeah. was turned down, and all of a sudden... Now, I know Caleb Grill was out, but let, let's go back. I mean, I believe it was either the Pitts... It was the Minnesota game, I believe. Caleb Grill got ejected in the in the second half. And, I think that was the, the their rallying cry, right, right? And then they had the rallying cry after that. <laughs> so I mean, they, they did produce they, uh, what they needed to produce in order to come back in that game without no, Caleb. But granted, Brill. granted, they lost to Jackson State three days later. So yes, you they know, did. like right. and, How was and that Caleb Brill. No, look, that, plenty. I'm sorry to hear that. Chris. What I was maybe uh, juxtaposing was uh, was the fact <laughs> that uh, look, there were there were times where this team was down at the first half. And they were able to overcome that and, and know exactly right. what to do, not get panicked, not uh, not worry about what the scoreboard said at the moment there, just try to focus on the next play. And uh, that was fine early in the season, but now it is, it's lost. Nobody out there can, I'm not going to say keep their cool. They are keeping their cool. They're keeping the effort out there. They're not, it's not like they aren't trying. It's just, they don't have the a fortitude to prevent the things that they need to prevent in order to hang in those games. You can't have the scoring droughts. You have Somebody's got to rise above and get you a bucket after three, four minutes, right? You can't let it go eight minutes. And on the other side, somebody's got to be the one to 
and really that is a collective thing defensively. It should be collective offensively, but defensively you kind of need everybody on the same page, hunker down, get a stop when you need one. But when you can only get one or the other, you can get a stop here and there, but if it's not eventually followed up by you score a basket, I mean, this is the simple stuff of basketball that we're talking about. They just don't have that metal right now the way they're currently constructed. And I almost like that they were forced to play without Sean East for a game just to see what would happen, just to because you know, as we're trying to identify and diagnose the different things going wrong with this team, you're like, all right, change it, shake it up and see what what does that force them to do to accommodate this new style of play without a, a main contributor. Uh, you know, on a team that doesn't win any games, your main contributors are not indispensable because you don't win any games even with them. So I'm okay with seeing it for a night like, all right, I hope Sean East is back the next time they play. But okay, that's what that would look like if you, you know, Let's just kind of learn about ourselves as a team a little bit through an experience like that. I don't like what I learned, Andy, but at least it did happen, and we can we can yeah. kind of take notes from it. 875K TGR, tell us your thoughts on the um, latest Mizzou basketball loss uh, here on the big show at 414. Let's go to Dave here on the KTGR hotline. Dave, what's up? Hey, guys. I just wondered uh, if you've talked all about uh, what impact you may see on uh, current commits for the uh, next season based on what's happening here. Well, I mean, they're all signed, so I mean, they're uh, they should all be coming. Uh, it's a fun question. I mean, though. Yeah, it I is mean, a, it is an interesting fun, question, but... <laughs> sure. Uh, but I mean, that's uh, for now. They put pen to paper, and uh, they can, uh, and they're on their way to Mizzou. You would think so. In like, I don't even think there's a way. Let's say they wanted to be out of it. They, what's the protocol there? They'd have to sit I out. Think and there'd anyway, have to right? be a coaching change, right, in order for that. That to would happen, be, and there's right? not going to be one of there's those. Not. So let's right. stop on that that yeah. front. So let's just operate under the assumption that all right, whether these guys are haphazardly coming next year or they're coming because the contract they signed said they have to to play college basketball as a freshman. Like, what do we think the situation is going to be? that they're walking into. Are they walking into a team that goes, well, we're 0-18, welcome in, uh, here's what... Like, that, I think, is the question. When people are asking about these commits, once they hear, okay, they've actually already signed, they can't... It's, that's not part of the deal of them being able to, to shop around at this point in time. What is, what is the situation that they're walking into? Because everybody has their different opinions on the portal, and, you know, we'll get a chance to ask Gabe DeArmond kind of for his two cents on... Like, what does that look like if you're Dennis Gates going, all right, this team wasn't it. We're adding a lot of freshmen that have a ton of talent, right? This is a top five class in the country coming in for a reason, but they're also true freshmen. They're playing high school basketball right now. So how much can you expect from that group to immediately be the the beacon of hope for this team? And how much do you have to, kind of like they have with this year's freshmen, who they got some talented freshmen that had some stars on their names too, Andy. Yeah. What it, what do you what can you expect versus what do you have to supplement with and then you kind of ask as gates all right who's coming back that i can build around like that i think is going to be the the real crux of it because they don't have to make the tournament next year but if you're going to feel good about this group of five freshmen that that's coming in and feel good about them being the foundational pieces rather than thinking oh boy are they going to bolt at their first opportunity there has to be some growth next year for the program they have to they have to set that foundation when those five freshmen walk in the door, even if none of them are playing 30 minutes a night, that foundation's got to be laid, and that's where Dennis Gates has it in front of him to try and pick up the pieces of this, use what can be used, and then supplement where you need to. I think that is the biggest key for where the program is right now. Because, again, you're you're supplementing a little. 
you'd think maybe a little bit less than you've had to in past years, but you need to hit on somebody in the portal. You gotta have like, a couple gotta a couple have, dudes that right. can participate. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It, keep find up the two low, tomorrow right? base yeah. level players. Yes. And I think you're that might be enough to make the tournament. Not what I'm saying, but to get the program heading in the direction that, that yeah. we all want to see it heading back in, that's kind of where and those the, the position of those incoming transfers will matter too. Because Gates is going to know his roster, who's coming back, who's coming in, and where he needs to supplement. Chris, did you have a did you have an angle on that? Um, no, I just had a general question. Um, what is your sales pitch to try to get better players into the program this off season? Portal wise, what is it? What do you tell them after I, going on a conference play? So I think I can answer that. First of all, it's like um, started from the bottom. Now we hear that you know that's the the oh, angle yeah? that yeah. you can play something to prove. But legitimately, and Andy, I want your take on this. How much have we spoken about the style, the player-oriented style that Dennis Gates coaches can be fun to play in when it's going well? How much fun did last year's team have, man? They were great, yeah. Because they had the freedom to kind of do their thing. But for that to work, for that kind of, I'm not going to call it laissez-faire because I don't think it's not that he's coaching these guys up, but for that type of system that can be very player-friendly to work, you've got to have the players that rise rise up to that occasion. And so to the guys that would be coming in, I'm going to say, look, we got these five freshmen, and this is the foundation of our program that are going to be your teammates, but you have a chance to be one of the the, the, the focal points of this team, and this is the style that you get to play in, and here's the way we want to play, transition basketball, et cetera, et cetera. You sell the style and say, when I, you know, this group last year, he's not going to demean his players that he just had. Some of them are going to be back, right? But he's going to say, we didn't. We didn't have X, Y, or Z that we needed. And you're X or you're Y. You can be Z. And when we have X, Y, and Z, you saw what happened when it was the, the Des Moines Hodge, Kobe Brown team that made a made the tournament and got a tournament win. And you saw what happened for the X's and the Y's and the Z's. They went on to professional careers. So to me, that's the pitch, Andy. I don't know if that's compelling enough, but... Is that the right path? Is that something that you think Dennis can use? Can it no, be effective? Year one is still a selling point. I, it, it wasn't that long ago. It was still in this era of college basketball. It is still a real thing that Dennis Gates can point to and say, look, it can work here. I think the the culture is another thing. Like, I, I think you, I can't remember which one of you brought it up, but I mean, the culture is something that Dennis Gates can sell. I don't. Even though this team's losing, I don't sense anybody like getting overly frustrated or uh, saying, "Oh, I'm the locker room's out of out of whack." Things that were no indications of that, from what I can tell. Like it's it, it's still a very strong, tight knit group. It, they're just not winning, and I mean, it can happen throughout the course of the season where you're just stuck, and uh, it, it can turn around pretty quickly when you do put together. A, uh, a winning stretch. So I I would sell that also of uh, of the players uh, kind of being able to have some freedom, uh, to be able to connect with their coach more so than maybe some of these other places. Dennis Gates has that selling point too. I mean, keep in mind, again, Dennis Gates went to Cleveland State and put together a, a winning program in very short order. Um, in August. It, it, like, yeah, he, like he, he was hired August. in July and he had a hit the portal like while classes were starting like that's tough to do and i i think with how he has been able to uh, pair that and of course with some nil help that can't hurt obviously and mizzou appears to be doing pretty well there i 
I think there's still plenty to sell. Even though you can't really sell last year's results, you can sell the year before. It still counts. It still happened. And it's still possible with what Mizzou's done so far. And I think you can sell why the year before happened specifically. And that's more yeah. to the, the, the point of and that, um, the tight-knit locker And that year followed room. a year that's, that feels like this one, right? It felt yeah. hopeless and everything. And season was over halfway through the conference schedule at, uh, with Gonzo's last year. And you rebuilt it and you got back to the front. And I think you talked to, like, I don't know which players will come back, but if Dennis Gates can keep a couple of the players, a number of the players that he wants to to move forward with, and those guys can be catalysts to say, look, man, I, we know the record, but we're ready to make that a different thing. Like the players can be those sort of advocates as well to to speak to where the program is and say, I know what the, the numbers said, but we're ready to do something about that. You can be part of it. I don't know. Maybe that's cheesy. Maybe it's too corny to work, Andy. But I think that the way that Dennis Gates is a personable human being and can connect with guys on that level, I think it can work. I think it's plausible. And I'm still in on Dennis Gates as much as this year it sucked. So, you know, are we naive to be as in on him as we we still are? Like we're we're saying foregone conclusion. This guy's not getting his job is not up for discussion no, right now. No, so that's unusual. I feel like for a team that we're we're basically saying we predict we'll go zero and eighteen. So it says a lot about Gates and what he did to earn that cachet already in the community that I that I think people are mostly on board with that. But they also they don't want to see poor results forever. So next year is going to be important. It will be, for sure. 875-KTGR, give us a call or a text. Big John texting in. I have absolutely no worries with Dennis Gates. He's still awesome in my minds. Daniel texting in. Rather, uh, or, hang on, let me get to his text that he just sent. Uh, I was wrong, guys. Last night was not the night. The future uh, is bright. Rather we want to admit it or not, injuries have plagued us all year. X's and O's look better with Jimmy's and Joe's. Fight on Tigers. Uh, it, I'm not going to say that Mizzou is a, a good team uh, and and like tournament worthy if guys like John Tanjay and Caleb Grill are are out there. I think it's probably they probably still needed more. Uh, no, but even if they're six and twelve, it's right? Not, yeah, it, it feels different, right? Yeah, it it would. I'm telling you, to me, six and twelve would feel different than zero and eighteen. People might say all losing seasons are made alike. I wouldn't see it that way because six and twelve was very much within the range of expected outcomes to have a step back. 0-18 wasn't in the way that we dreamed it up, but, you know, here we are, and we kind of have to reckon with how we feel about that. Yeah, so uh, keep getting your thoughts in, 875-KTGR here on the Big Show at 424. So what does Gabe Yarman at PowerMizzou.com think about all of this? The 10-game losing streak, where Mizzou Hoops goes from here. We'll also talk a little bit of uh, football. The coaching staff appears to be set now for Eli Drinkwitz. We'll ask uh, Gabe Bjarmond about all that here on The Big Show. You are listening to The Big Show Podcast on KTGR.com. Mizzou Men's Hoops still looking for that first conference victory. The losing streak now at 10 games. 0-10 in conference play and 8-15 overall. Get your thoughts in on the latest loss uh, for Mizzou against uh, Texas A&M last night at 875-KTGR with a call or a text here with Andy Brendan and producer Chris on the big show and now joining us on the KTGR hotline to give his thoughts on the state of affairs here with Mizzou Hoops and and everything else. Gabe Bjarmid of PowerMizzou.com. You can find him on Twitter at PowerMizzou.com. Subscribe to uh, PowerMizzou to get all their great info. Gabe, how are you? Not bad. What's going on, guys? Pretty good. Uh, Let's, I guess, start with, uh, again, uh, another loss for Mizzou men's basketball. And, again, they just all kind of 
look the same. But I wonder how you now look at, at, at things going forward now that the losing streak is at 10 games and you're, and you're still trying to figure out if, if this team has it in them for the rest of the season to make sure that zero turns into a one at some point. Yeah, I said uh, before last week, I said, I don't think they'll go, you know, defeated. But if they lose at home to Arkansas and on the road to Vandy, then we can start talking about it. So, yeah, it's time to start talking about it. Um, They've played their easiest games. You know, I I don't know what game you would look at on the schedule and say, I think they'll get that one. I mean, odds say maybe they'll get one. But this is clearly like, and I asked Noah Carter this after the, the Vanderbilt game, and he said no, but. I don't know how it couldn't be true. This is a team that just expects bad things to happen, right? Um, you know, you can almost pick out the moment in the game where you go, up, oh, here it comes. Here comes either the five-minute scoreless streak or the, you know, the big run by the other team or whatever. I, I mean, last night, you know, they get within 46-43, and I think it was a missed layup, but it, it could have been a foul call. I don't know. But something – and then all of a sudden you look up and they're down 20. Uh, I mean, it was just like – flipping a switch like hey we we kind of had a chance but the hole was too big and I, it, it, they're all the same like you said and so it always does seem like it's something gabe doesn't have to be the same thing every time but it's always going to be something that kind of throws them off track is there anything that you can diagnose with this group specifically um it, it, do, do we read enough into the injuries do we read too much into the injuries like we knew there could be a step back this year but i don't think a look at 0-18 was really in the cards for anybody. So just on an overarching view, kind of curious how you look at that from, from like, the 10,000-foot angle. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think they'd be better if everybody was healthy. They've got five scholarship guys hurt right now or sick or whatever. Um, I don't think they'd be an NCAA tournament team, you know, uh, but but I don't think we'd be talking about 0-18. And, and re- I, I think it's two things. I, I think, first of all, it's mostly just momentum. Um, last year's team believed they were going to win every game because, uh, like, they made a couple plays down the stretch of games and won close games. They went 13-3 and three in games decided by 10 points or less. So, and, and there was some luck involved there, right? They had two half-court shots and, and, and all that. So we probably overinflated a little bit how good that team was and it, because they, they did. They just found ways to win. And this team, I think if you go back – don't blow the lead against Jackson State, first of all. But then they had two games to start the conference season at home against Georgia and South Carolina. And they lost both of them. Both were games they should have won, could have won, whatever. If you just switch those two, they're sitting 2-1. and one. Still, they're probably losing at Kentucky, right? But I think the whole feel on this team is different. I, I truly think they were 0-3 going to Alabama Fought in that one. That one went south in the last six minutes. And, and I think at that point it was kind of like, man, this is really starting to build up. And, and it just kind of adds up every time out. The second thing is uh, it, it's pretty obvious. There were some misses here in the offseason, right, in, in two ways. First of all, he expected guys that were coming back to take jumps they haven't taken. Noah Carter and Nick Honor were really good, like third and fourth options on last year's team. And they needed them to be second and third options or first and second options. And, and they can't do that. Uh, I mean, we found that out. They're not the first and second options on a good team. They're, they're excellent third and fourth options on a good team, but not first and second. Aiden Shaw hasn't taken the jump. Sean East has taken a jump, but kind of at what expense, um, you know, because everything runs through him. Uh, 
you know, he the, the ball movement is a lot worse this year. And I'm not blaming Sean alone for that. But he does have the ball a lot and dribbles a lot, and that is part of it. The second part is in the portal. Uh, look, Tanjay and Grill, I, I don't know what those guys are. Uh, it, right? They thought they were really good players in the offseason, and they might be. We just haven't seen that. But then you've got a couple guys in, in Jesus Carolero and Connor, Connor Vanover that, look, when they took them, a lot of people said, I, I'm not sure here. And unfortunately, that's kind of turned out to be right. Yeah, and so now, Gabe, you're in a situation where we all kind of know what this season is. I think outside of maybe the most frustrated folks on your message boards, people aren't looking to fire the coach at this point in time. We know no, that the recruiting class, no, and, and we know the recruiting class is really impressive. But, like, for where we sit with this program right now, what are the things that you'd want to see as a Mizzou basketball fan to say, all right, we can we can glean this from the end of the season, or this is no. maybe the way that he needs to attack the portal. Like what what now? I guess is the question for a, a program we know is going to stay intact with the head coach. Yeah, I mean you'd like to win a game, right? Uh, win an SEC game because one and seventeen is awful, but it's way less awful than zero and eighteen. So just go win one. But other than that, there's not a big difference to me between one and three or three and four. You know, you're going to be playing on Wednesday night in the SEC tournament. Uh, you're not going anywhere after that. We all know that. So whether it's 8-24 and 24 or 11-21, and 21, to me, is I, whatever. Now, the, the, the good part is 10 years ago, 8-24 and 24 meant you're three years away. doesn't mean that anymore. With the transfer portal, portal available, you're always one year away. Right? This team won 25 games last year, and now they're 8-24. and 24. So – why can't they go win 25 games if they do the if they have the right offseason? And part of that is, you know, part of the unlimited transfers and the no rules and all the freedom players have gotten is, hey, I know have absolutely no problem, and this has always happened, but I, I'm fine with it just openly happening now. The coach just saying, yeah, you're not good enough to play here. You got to go find a better place. You know, because he doesn't have to sit out now. And, and they've asked for all these things, and with that comes a price. So Dennis Gates is going to have to do some hard assessment. Like, I don't think I want eight guys off an 0-18 team back next year. You know, so right. he's got to figure that out. He's got to figure out who is coming back. And I think the only absolute obvious one is Tamar Bates. Now, I would personally invest in the three freshmen, and I think they will. But, you know, that's that's up to him to make that assessment. And then – He's going to have to go land at least two starters in the portal. He's got to figure out if he wants Tanjay and Grill back and if those guys are starters. And then he's got to go land at least two in the portal. Um, Whatever positions they are, whoever they are. And and look, we know this school has NIL money. It's shown up in football. Uh, It's time to go spend it and spend it wisely. For sure. Gabe Yarman of PowerMizzou.com with us here on the big show, KTGR and KTGR.com. And of course, you know, this type of basketball season has already had folks wondering, well, when's football season going to start? Well, that's still 200 days away, just about, but still people are, are trying to get excited about it. And there was news that the, the, the coaching staff is pretty much set. Uh, Corey Batoon, uh, the new defensive coordinator. They also brought in a new, uh, uh D line coach, Brian Early for the edge rushers. So, uh, Gabe, I guess it, we're not going to know how, how these guys are at their job right away, but I, I wonder what you made of the hires and how, uh, now Mizzou's going forward defensively trying to keep things going. Yeah, I mean, look, I've never watched a game and thought, boy, man, they really need a new defense ends coach, right? Um, <laughs> that's, that's not a thing on my radar. D 
defensive coordinator is a little easier to assess, but not right now. I mean, what I've said over and over is they hired Kirby Moore, and I had to Google who he was. I, I didn't know who that was, and he did a fantastic job. So I will wait until, you know, at least like week two to decide if Corey Batoon's the right hire or not. Yeah, yeah, and we'll see uh, what all happens uh, with, with spring football and how that looks uh, with the first looks of uh, who might be uh, getting some of the playing time going forward. Uh, and we also heard the news of the uh, the, the $62 million donation that's uh, getting poured into the uh, the stadium renovations and, and also the, the Tiger Fund to help out the uh, the NIL efforts. It's just kind of a... Uh, another example, Gabe, of I guess how far things have sort of come uh, in in this age uh, of college sports and and making sure that you're bigger and better, especially in in a conference like the SEC. I wonder what you made of it. Yeah, and I think people need to understand. Look, I understand why it's presented the way it's presented, right? Uh, it's PR, it, and it's a huge donation, and I'm not trying to minimize it. Uh, whoever gave that, obviously, $62 million is a lot of money. I don't care how long it is. But I don't think they just dropped a duffel bag off with $62 million. I am fairly certain that is spread out over a number of years. I don't know exactly what that number is. It's usually between 5 and 10. Um, but And again, it is very big for Missouri. But I, I think people need to understand this isn't just, Eli, here's $12 million to go buy your roster for next year, right? That's that's not how these donations work. Now, they're that's how they're presented by athletic departments because – that looks really good to say we just got $62 million rather than we got $6.2 million a year for the next 10 years. It's the same amount of money. It's just in the messaging. For sure. Gabe Yarman to PowerMizzou.com with us here on the Big Show KTGR. What's new at PowerMizzou, Gabe? Uh, guys, you know, I, I don't want to say it's the slow time because there's never a slow time, right? But no. uh, we're always on recruiting, things like that, but uh, kind of waiting. I mean, Wednesday was supposed to be signing day. It used to be signing day, but that was not a thing. I kind of actually forgot it used to be that. Uh, so we're kind of waiting like you guys, uh, junior day, spring football, all that. Like uh, when basketball, and, and this is why it's nice to have basketball doing well, right? Because it kind of carries you through some of these slower times, but uh, not as much this year. Yeah, a little bit different this time around, uh, but it's still uh, great stuff to go and check out at uh, PowerMizzou.com. Gabe, I know, I, I think I know who you got on Sunday, but I suppose I'll just ask by how much you think the Chiefs uh, could win. Yeah, look, I, I honestly, like, I've picked the Chiefs to lose playoff games before. I thought they would lose to Buffalo. So, uh, yeah. you know, like, if I thought they would lose this game, I would pick them to lose this game. I just, I, I know this is, such utterly simplistic analysis, but I can't see Brock Purdy beating Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. Uh, so, look, the last one against the Niners was 31-20, and I kind of like that. That sounds good, right? So we're just going to go with that. Again. We'll, we'll, we'll be on board with that. We could we can enjoy a little score like that on Sunday, so hopefully that's uh, the case uh, going forward for Super Bowl 58. Gabe Yarman to PowerMizzou.com with us here on the Big Show KTGR. Thanks, Gabe, for, for coming on, as always. Uh, hope all is well. We'll talk again soon. All right, guys. Have a good one. All right, you too. It is 440 here on the Big Show KTGR. Yeah, that's kind of all the analysis you need, right? Patrick Mahomes, greater than Brock Purdy most of the time. That's all it takes. It is the analysis that I have been utilizing, and I almost feel like it's turning me into a Brock Purdy hater, which I'm not. I like him. I just don't I just don't see the math-mathing on this one for him to defeat Mahomes. And I know that the defenses play a big role. They don't have Mahomes and Purdy go out on the field at the same time against one another. 
but I, I do kind of subscribe to that logic. And so, uh, yeah, Gabe sees, <laughs> Gabe sees it similarly, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is good to know. That's, uh, that is good. We will have over-unders for Chiefs and 49ers at 5.05, and then our Soup or Bowl draft, 2K24, is coming up at 5.25. We all have our big boards, whatever they might have on there. I, have no, I, I don't even want to know what Brendan has on his, but I guess we'll find out very soon at 5.25. But Under the Bus is next. This, if it's real, Brendan, it's kind of hilarious from the Packers CEO. We'll get to that next. You're listening to the Big Show Podcast on KTGR.com. It's time to go under the bus on the Big Show. This is hilarious if it's real, and I think at least for now, until proven otherwise, we should believe it's real, right, Brendan? From well, the, that uh, sounds like the journalistic integrity if I've ever heard <laughs> right, it. So, yeah, let's yeah. go with that. That's how we operate on this program anyways, right? <laughs> let's get Big the Buffers bus. the game Very, uh, of yeah, our yeah, I <laughs> No, I think this could be real. It looks I, plausible enough. This is from Dan McDermott on Twitter, and uh, he claimed that his cousin Bill sent in an application to be the Packers' defensive coordinator. And mostly, good. mostly cited his fantasy football uh, acumen. Yeah, sounds like one Brendan Schaefer actually. That's a Brendan move. Yeah, yep. And apparently, he received a letter back from Mark Murphy, the president and CEO of the Packers, and it was a handwritten note saying, "Quote, Bill, thank you so much for your cover letter and resume regarding our defensive coordinator position." While your fantasy football experience is impressive, I regret to inform you that we have decided to go in a different direction. I hear the Bears have an opening. You look to be a perfect fit for them. Thanks again. Sincerely, Mark. Oh, Oh, please let it be real. I don't even care if it's real. I'm going to pretend it's real. How's that for journalistic integrity? That's funny, Andy. Right. That's, like, really funny. I... Like the handwritten aspect of it as well, into like just to write back to somebody who applied for your defensive coordinator position, which is obviously something you're not qualified for if you're not in the the football coaching business. You're not going to just leap off the street into an NFL DC job. Uh, you, you've got to be what like the uh, head coach of Boston College first, and then you can become the Packers defensive coordinator which is exactly what Jeff Hapley did. It's funny that that's the role that we're talking about. Like, not only is your fantasy football experience not going to get you there, we hired a guy who was a head coach at an ACC program. He, he took a step down in regard to his control over an organization. But nevertheless, the fact that he throws in the shot at the Bears is what makes me really, really hope that it's I know. a real letter. Yeah, that's pretty funny. The Bears just can't avoid the strays sometime, but... Uh, under the bus. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, I, I suppose if the, if the Bears pick it up, then they won't be subject to this all the time. Uh, under the bus to Mike McCarthy. He caught a stray from Emmett Smith on Radio Row today. Emmett Smith on a, on a radio show this morning was asked, you know, why do you think uh, Mike McCarthy was kept in Dallas? Why do you think that move was made? And he said, quote, because I'm not the GM, end quote. Correct. <laughs> Oh, That's pretty good. Man. That's very good. Smith uh, was not taking any prisoners with that one. He made it very clear <laughs> how he felt about Mike McCarthy. Under the bus. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's, a good, <laughs> that's funny. Kind of yeah, surprising I mean, that it comes nice. like, you know, from a former player very bluntly like that, but I mean Yeah, message received, Jerry Jones. Exactly. Like that's it's pretty good. And under the bus to I guess Cody Rhodes fans. Uh, the, right. the Rock went on a 
All a right. big, okay, uh, like a very read. epic rant on McAfee today. <laughs> I don't know if we can play I need it some background. Here, but no, yeah, no, that's kind of what we're rant, looking but, at. Like, it, but Chris is our resident WWE expert, right? Yeah. I guess uh-huh. Dwayne Johnson is his name. He's going to be a wrestler again. Dwayne uh, in parentheses, The Rock Johnson. Why are Cody's fans upset? Uh, I, I believe that The Rock referred to the group of Cody fans as hashtag Cody Crybabies. That's right. Uh, why are they so upset about The Rock right now? What's um, going so on? So here's in what happened. Land? Last week on SmackDown, there was a big face-off between the undisputed Universal Champion Roman Reigns and Cody Rhodes because Cody Rhodes won the Royal Rumble and therefore had access to a WrestleMania match between him and Roman. Uh, so Naturally. They had, so they had a the little standoff in the ring. They talked for a little bit on the mic. And then Cody says something very strange, which, which is, I want to take you down, Roman, or something like that, but not at WrestleMania. Cut to The Rock's music, and he just, like, stumbles at everyone's like, oh, my gosh, it's The Rock. And so they, like, <laughs> ha- they have, like, a little powwow. They, like, tuck and, like, shake or whatever. And then Cody just, like, walks off, and then it's He's a standoff between. Yeah. So, basically, they're doing, like, the, okay, it's actually going to be, like, The Rock versus Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. Instead but did Cody of the guy earn who won his chance, he, he did earn his chance, so oh, he might wrestle Seth Rollins. Bummed. Yeah, he. That's the thing, though. In like the storyline, the dining hall, the guy from the dining hall is going to go wrestle. <laughs> yeah. So basically, what he made the decision in the storyline to be like, you know what? I'm not going to wrestle you at WrestleMania. I'm going to let The Rock do it instead. And so now fans are like, what the heck? He won the Royal Rumble. Why is he doing this? Can we? Do you um, think didn't that, did I'm I'm maybe over my skis here. Did no, Roman no, Reigns? Good. Beat Cody Rhodes. Yes, in he did last year's. Yes, he did. WrestleMania. And it screwed me out of the picks of the week. That's title, right. What he did. <laughs> I like won on that last year. Okay, okay, <laughs> hold on. Let me understand something. Cody Rhodes is the guy's the feller's name. That's yeah. right. The that American Nightmare. That, that he earned the boy. opportunity, the opportunity to wrestle in this big event. Yeah. Uh, but then he like. He's happy to step aside because The Rock is such a legend because his fans are upset. We right? don't That's... know. We don't know why he stepped down and was like, "Okay, The Rock can wrestle you instead." Because the don't actor know why. hasn't. The actor hasn't said he's 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 playing a role yeah. on the wrestling show. He's like, I'm. I don't have to come out behind the scenes and say I'm mad about it. But Cody's fans, am I right with this? That they're kind of standing up for him because they think his character got did dirty by sort of being replaced in this last yeah. minute swaparoo. Yeah, what interesting. Gives? Yeah, they're like, what's the going Rock, on here, guys? So The Rock, though, goes on this rant and starts calling them crybabies and says they're eating McNuggets. It was very bizarre. <laughs> Keyboard warriors, very, sad about their boy. Yeah, he went like full on, you know, but is that like a heel turn for The Rock or is that pretty standard yeah, for the way it's he a talks pre- to people? It's a pretty like standard issue, like heel move. It's not super okay. divorced from like his old work in like the early 2000s when he was still okay. like a full-time wrestler. It's very stupid. Like even it's like <laughs> yeah, a, a even it's yeah. like a wrestler. Chris has see, not has been stupid. over this conversation ever since we started it. No, He's but been I like, need to be filled in. <laughs> yeah, I we need needed to know. know. Like we because I kind of, as someone who does not care about wrestling at all, I saw the clip and thought, "All right, The Rock, yeah, yeah. Like, those Cody hashtag Cody's crybabies." Like I was in on it. That's but right. Maybe that makes. Am I the dumb dumb because I'm I'm falling for it? What would they call me? Would they call me the Mark in wrestling yeah. lingo because yeah, I'm kind of falling for the bit? A jabroni, okay. maybe. I'm, I'm a jabroni and I'm yeah, a bar. Yeah, rocks involved. You might get called a jabroni. That's, pro- that's very true. Yeah, I'm okay with it. I'm, I think I'm Team The Rock on this one. Hashtag Cody's Crybabies. I am babies. too, because it would be funny. If it I happened. guess all of us are under the bus for whatever reason. Under the bus. 
Uh, and, and yeah, The Rock wasn't taking any prisoners with that either. He was ready to, to bury uh, Cody fans right then and there. It's time for the sweetest thing in sports on the big show. Sweetest thing is with our friends at the Candy Factory. Six days away from Valentine's Day. And that means you got to go get your chocolate-covered strawberries for your Valentine this year at the Candy Factory in downtown Columbia. Online at thecandyfactoryonline.com. How about this? This guy's name is Cristobal Del Solar. He is a golfer sure is. in the Corn Ferry Tour, which is essentially, like, think minor leagues for PGA Tour. And okay. uh, he I shot. That. I All thought right. that was live. No. What am I. <laughs> I wish it was. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. Keep going. Uh, they might if that merger goes through. 30-year-old uh, from Chile. He shot a 57 in his round today at the uh, at the Bogota event in Bogota, Colombia. That's a course. That's a PGA Tour sanctioned event record. A 13 under 57. He had like eight birdies. No, nine birdies, two eagles. He even like missed a six footer. It should have been a fifty six. Oh, like he was on one, and he was almost like confused. Like look, look at my scoreboard. Where are we? And he's like, I, I can't have a score this low. It's kind of incredible. I thought there was a mistake. Like you look up right. from your score and go, Oh, did I mess something up? Am I going to take a two stroke penalty because I wrote down the right, wrong? Yeah. Oh boy, that's that's got to be a wild feeling. And I can somewhat relate to it because I believe that matches my score fifty seven. From the uh, the front nine last year at uh, <laughs> at, at, the, at our little match. I, oh had. yeah, I, I think so. Four sucker. Yeah. <laughs> What's up? Yeah, uh, that's too good. Pro- probably so. Um, oh boy. no! Listen, I when I'm under fifty seven on the front nine, I celebrate too. No, I was going to say I would take that. I would. I would. I mean, and of course, that wasn't the format because we're kind of playing best ball as a group, and, yeah. and so we had to keep score differently. But if I, I mean, fifty seven. I don't know. Probably depends on the course, but I might take it. I, I might take it. Yeah, on the, I mean, on the front nine. sometimes the conditions help it get a little easier. But again, well, it's the soft greens. You know, you got to know yeah, about the soft yeah. greens. Yeah, the, the winds, that's really what it boils weather. down to for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm gonna but, get you uh, this year. Okay, I'm gonna get right. you this time. How far away are we? Four months. Uh, Four months. Something like that. We have yep. left to, to train up. Practice up. Yep. They have golf in Florida, right? That's where I'm heading. So maybe I can. Do they ever make <laughs> bring your clubs? What else can you do in Florida? I know. Oh. That's kinda that's kinda why people go. Uh Chiefs 49ers over unders at 505. And then our soup or bowl draft, 2K24, is coming up at 525 here on the big show.